So you're at some social gathering. It's casual. You're meeting people. In the course of conversation, you mention something about your church. When one person looks at you and very innocently asks, why are you a Christian? It's not a confrontational question. Maybe they're just dealing with issues of faith themselves. But there you are, having to put your faith into a succinct answer. And maybe you've never thought about it. I mean, you can give theology, but they can get that anywhere. The question is, why are you a Christian? Because you've always been a Christian? Because, well, your parents were Christians and they brought you to church? Have you ever given it much thought? What would your answer be? Why, among all other religions, Christianity? Our guest today will help you think through your answer. So, stay right here. Life-changing sermons. We've all heard them. They empower us, motivate us, breathe life into us. Exceptionally gifted preachers use their unique, deeper insights to uncover and present the scriptures in ways that are life-giving, life-altering. I'm Dr. Bob LaFave, pastor, researcher, and you are about to be inspired by the best preachers in America. Our guest today received a Master of Divinity seminary degree from Candler School of Theology at Emory University and a Doctor of Ministry from Columbia Theological Seminary. Currently, he's the senior pastor of Johns Creek United Methodist Church in Johns Creek, Georgia, just outside Atlanta. He has over 20 years of experience as a pastor, much of that time teaching on the craft of preaching, and he gives back by teaching the practice of preaching for the course of study at his alma mater, Candler. Our guest today has authored four books, Seven Wonders of the Faith, One Heaven of a Party, Mission Impossible, and my favorite, That'll Preach, Five Simple Steps to Your Best Sermon Ever. He's also a frequent preacher on the national radio program Day One. Today, we are discussing his sermon entitled, Why Christianity? And so we welcome one of the best preachers in America, the Reverend Dr. Charlie Reeb. Great to have you here, Charlie. Hey, listen, Bob, thank you for having me. It's an honor. Thank you. Appreciate that. And uh, let's, let's jump into this sermon, Charlie. Y- you start out with a great question, and it's a question that you got when you took a visit to your undergrad school, Florida Southern. And it was kind of an innocent question, but listen, it's a fundamental question. It seems easy to answer, but it can throw some of us, even Christians. So tell us, tell our listeners a bit about that, that encounter. Right. Well, it happened many years ago. I, like I said, I was fresh, I was fresh in the ministry. And I think quite honestly, even though the professor didn't tell me, but he had originally asked uh, probably a more prominent preacher at the time to do it, and he bailed. So he said, okay, I'll call up the associate at this church and see if he can come and, and, and save me and come and talk to my class. So I said, sure. And so it was the spur of the moment, if I remember right, and got to the class and was feeling good about answering questions. And they had great questions. Some were Christians, but, but, but some were of other faiths and and they some were freshmen, some were seniors, so it was a variety of people and students. Charlie, was it like a religion class or it just was a, a sociology class? Ah, yeah, uh, and they wanted 
a pastor to come in to talk about how the church affects the community and the community, the church, and the role of a pastor in the community. So it wasn't overtly religious, quote unquote. They just wanted to see how the role of a pastor affects people in a community. Although I did answer some questions about my role. Sure. But it quickly turned into theology and faith when that person towards the end asked the question, why are you a Christian? Mm. And I remember when she asked the question, I thought to myself, now there is the question. That's the question. And if a, if a Christian can't answer that question, then why in the heck should anybody listen to them? Yeah. So, I remember thinking about it, and honestly, it didn't make it into an idea for a sermon until many years later, because I often reflected on that event, and then maybe five, ten years later, I recall using it in a sermon, and then it slowly developed into the sermon that I preached that you had recorded or you played. Yeah, and and Charlie, I think many of us, you know, really, maybe deep down inside, we haven't asked that question. I mean, and, and these are, you know, innocent um, folks who come to church every Sunday and, and you know, they, if you would ask them, many of them might respond, well, I'm, I'm a Christian. Well, I come to church because I'm a Christian. Well, why are you a Christian? Well, I don't know. I've always been a Christian. And, and even in your sermon, you ask, is it because, you know, your mom and dad brought you to church every Sunday and therefore you've kind of, you know, adopted it? Uh, but have you ever really thought deeply about why this faith. And, and I think in your sermon, you challenge us to ask ourselves why we are Christian. And, and what's, what I love about it is you, be, you begin to answer the question by going to the prologue to John's gospel. Mm-hmm. And you sort of lead us down that road that there's something unique about this Jesus. And so so tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about that, how John's gospel for you, particularly this prologue, you know, in the beginning was the word, and that that, that to you is, is informative on your own faith and part of your own answer. Right. Well, I talk a little bit about it in the sermon when I talked about my struggle with the question as a teenager and into my young adult years. And because I, I did, that question haunted me for a long time. Why am I Christian? What's unique about Jesus? There's so many religions in the world. Why should Christianity be so special? What what stands out about it? And I recall during that search, me digging into the Gospel of John, and in particular, reading a commentary on John, and I can't remember the author, and on the prologue of John. And I, and I will never forget, as long as I live, the part of the key to the answer to that question for me and the renewal of my faith was something the commentator wrote when he began to unpack logos word mm. in Greek and the word became flesh. It's the word logos. And as he began to unpack what logos meant, the bottom line, and I won't bore you with a lot of Greek and scholarship here, but the bottom line was logos really means the mind or personality of God. Mm-hmm. And so that really clicked for me, that Jesus was the personality of God walking on the earth. And so that was the first big part of the revelation for me was from, was from John. 
uh, and the word became flesh and the idea within that text that it was God in the flesh who who made the first move, who came and searched for us, the whole idea of the incarnation of God making the first move to us. And so that was kind of the raw material as I began to search and question, okay, I'm getting some answers here and I'm beginning to realize why our faith is so special. I think that's a a really interesting point and something that you pick up on and utilize uh, in a way that I, I haven't heard other preachers do, that that this that Jesus was the personality of God, and and this is really an interesting point because for so many people the whole concept of the Trinity kind of throws folks, you know, and they think of God as this you know big gray bearded guy up in heaven. Jesus is kind of the friendly person we have here, and the Holy Spirit every once in a while you feel him, but we don't talk about him very much, right? And so when it comes down to, you know, who Jesus is, for him to be the expression of God, you know, the personality of God, I think that's really a unique way to look at it. And I think it sort of helps us understand that. Well, and I, and I, you, I picked that word intentionally because uh, although I don't think I remember the commentator using the word personality, what it said to me in a lot of fancy words was personality. So I was looking for a word that would help the average listener connect with all that Greek sophistication and meaning. And it really came down to, well, really what they're trying to say is this is God's personality walking, walking the earth. Yeah. And that, that clicks for people when they hear that word personality, more so than maybe more advanced or highfalutin theological language. Exactly, right. The personhood of Jesus. And you say that yeah. that, that logos... It intersected at a certain time in history. And you, you follow that up, uh, really describing a reason why, as it mentions in John's prologue, some did not receive him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the idea that, that he came in such an unexpected way. So can you follow up with our listeners on that? When people think of God... They, they're, they're for, especially before Jesus intersected the earth, that was, they didn't think of God in those terms. Uh, the God coming as a baby, God coming as vulnerable and loving, God coming as uh, with self-sacrifice and love, as opposed to God coming to the earth and, and you know, showing his wrath and setting things straight, which is clearly what many people wanted the Messiah to be. Yeah. Uh, not to give a history lesson, but that's what many people were looking for in a Messiah, a political and military leader that was going to have a day of reckoning and going to set things straight. So all of a sudden, here is God as a baby. What is more vulnerable and approachable than a baby? What I mean, nothing else. Every, anyone so, can relate yeah. to a baby. Mind blown, you know? And so people, they couldn't connect that. Why? There, There is no way. And so that's... I think that's why many people struggled with it. And I I think that then leads us to one of the things that's so unique about Christianity that you talk about is that this, we are not talking about some God that is far off and aloof, uh, as in pretty much all other religions. Christianity is the only religion in which, as you put it, God reaches for us. Mm -hmm. Whereas in other religions, it's about us reaching toward God. So, so there is this kind of exclusivity of Christianity. And, and I think it's interesting because and you bring this out in your sermon. You know, we, 
we have a nation uh, of a growing percentage of the nation that are quote unquote seekers. And, and I'm all for seekers. I want seekers in my church. Uh, I think seekers should seek. Uh, but really what I hear you saying is it's great to be a seeker, but God's seeking for you mm-hmm. and really just being open to him seeking for you and searching for you is one of the first star- steps to really understanding the answer to why Christianity. You agree with that? Oh, absolutely. And I think that that's, I mean, that's the, the really one of the first steps of opening yourself to this Christ is surrender, which goes against all human instinct and everything we learn in life is that we, we gain strength by letting go. Mm. Um, I'm reminded of that, of Henry now and that, that old mystic writer talked about going to see a trapeze artist and he was amazed at what he did. But when he talked to him later, the trapeze artist says, well, everybody thinks that I'm the great star of the show, but really the star of the show is Joe, my catcher. (laughs) If I try to catch Joe, I'll fall. It's not my job to catch Joe. It's Joe's job to catch me. Right. And so this idea of surrendering, this idea of letting go, this idea of coming to yourself and letting go. So, so yeah, absolutely. I think that that's what's unique about Christianity and also what's brought out a lot in, your, in the United Methodist tradition, this idea of God's prevenient grace that's constantly on, on the lookout, trying to seek us, quickening us, beating on the door of our hearts, um, the hound of heaven, so to speak, to use an mm-hmm. old phrase. God mm-hmm. is constantly after us with his love seeking us, right? Uh, especially those who are seekers. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. I think that that's a, a, a key thought in all this. Yeah, re- reminded of the prodigal son and, and the uniqueness of the father when he sees his son coming back from far off, hikes up his britches, if you will, yes. and goes running toward him. Right. You know? What a great image. And so unlike the images we get of gods and other religions, and so again, speaks to the uniqueness of Christianity. What I love about your sermon is you, you give this, you, you give a, um, a, a rationale, uh, a reason, a real answer to why Christianity. I, I think for, for some also, th- they need that. And they also need uh, an experience. So, so here, I got a tough question for you, Pastor Charlie. Sure. What if somebody says, okay, I, I get the uniqueness and I get what that means to you. And I get that, you know, it's not about us reaching to God, that, that, that Christianity is about God seeking us and, and, and reaching for us. But I don't, I don't feel God. I don't, I don't, I don't, I need an experience. I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't sense it. I don't feel what everybody else is talking about. What did I not get that gene, that DNA? How do right. I not feel this? What, how do you, how do you begin to answer that? No, it's, it's a great question because people can understand that idea intellectually and, and cognitively in terms of, okay, I get it. God comes to us in Christ and I don't have to keep searching and wondering and looking at all the different philosophies and religions and uh, I can, and can stop because God is here to show me the way and more importantly is, is, is here to, to come to me and to embrace me and to bring me home. Yeah, people can get that, but but that's a great question because we don't always feel God. Even those of us who follow Christ, there are times when 
we don't necessarily feel it. And I, I think it's important to remember, first of all, when someone says that, especially someone outside the faith, that even Christians struggle with that. Even though you can walk close with Christ, doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to feel that. Mm. That's just part of being human. Even Christ felt distant. But, I mean, that's, an, that's another sermon. But I think... I I think I try to answer that towards the end of the sermon. I don't mean to jump ahead when I talk about my encounter with Walter. And I think many times, not always, because I think God can provide us an experience in a variety of ways. And people have shared that over the years in Christian testimony, whether it's during your prayer time and you sense God or being put into a situation or or there's a sign. I think God is not limited, but I think one of the key ways, especially with this incarnational theology that God comes to us is through God's agents, us, through other Hmm. people. So, So the way I tried to make that come full circle in the sermon was Christ was in me working through me to Walter. So for Walter... I became the hands of Christ, the arms of Christ for him. Can you, would you mind giving us the, uh, uh, the brief uh, um, encounter with Walter, if you, you don't mind for our Absolutely. listeners? Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I was in seminary and I just knew very little. I was very naive and part of the, the process of being at Emory at the time, and I think still today, is that your first year in seminary, you're part of what is called supervised ministry. And part of that is typically you're a chaplain in a hospital. So you're thrown right into trying to be in ministry to people who are sick and dying. And so I was assigned to the cardiopulmonary ward of Emory Hospital. Long story short, I was walking around one day with my little name tag that said clergy. And I was just clueless. I was just fumbling around trying to learn all this stuff. When a nurse asked me to go visit a guy named Walter, who I'd never seen before, but he was in the hospital. His door was open. She said, nobody had come to see him. He was dying and there were no relatives, no friends, nobody. Would you mind going to see him? And so I did. And Walter was very bitter, very angry. When I told him I was the chaplain, he was none too pleased to have me there and basically tried to kick me out. (laughs) And basically before I left the room, maybe he sensed that I was just wanting to be friendly and kind. He began to open up to me. Mm -hmm. And long story short, he let me pray with him. And I said something in my prayer to the effect of, Lord, cover Walter with your warmth and love like a warm blanket. And when I opened my eyes, he had his arms up, ready to give me a hug. It took me a while to understand what he was trying to do. And then it registered. He wants me to hug him. And then he said, he began to rock me and said, yes, Lord, cover me like a blanket. So that wall was penetrated by the incarnational love of Christ through me. Right. And so Walter had that experience of God coming to him through me. And so I think that's, that's a big piece of this experience you're talking about. It yeah. may not answer the entire question, well, but I think I, for a lot of people, if we truly are Christians and we believe in incarnational theology and that we are the body of Christ and Christ is living in us and through us, then we can provide that experience 
by being vessels of Christ in this world to other people, by coming to them. I think you make a great statement uh, in, in your sermon that in that moment, in many ways, your prayer became flesh. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you used by God to, in, if you will, enflesh the word, mm-hmm. you know, to be the word for Walter in that moment, to be representative, to be God's hands in ministry at that moment. Right. And I think, and that's a very powerful thing. And it's, I think for me, to answer the question, why Christianity, I have to go back to some of those moments also. Although, although I do answer, like you do uh, in, in your sermon, uh, when you talk about, for example, uh, the impact of Christianity on this world. I mean, you, you make the, a very good case for the, the fact that, my goodness, what would this world be like uh, without Christianity? Uh, right. And, and the and you you have a recitation in your sermon about all the different ways that Christianity has changed this world, and I think what's really interesting about that is your point that look, if Jesus has done that for this world, mm-hmm. then just think of the power that He has to change our lives as well. Absolutely. And I think some, to me, you know, Pastor Charlie, that's so inspirational. As you mentioned, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is also in us. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know that we get that. And, and if, if we do get that, tell us, what can that do for our lives? Yeah, I, I, you're, you're barking up the right tree because just think about that idea that scripture tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. I mean, the implication of that is huge, and it's so overwhelming that maybe that's why people seem to forget it, because they can't wrap their minds around it, but it's the truth, and it's also, as an aside, why Jesus said, you will do greater works than me. Well, how could we do greater works than Jesus? Because his spirit lives in us, and for the last 2,000 years, we've done incredible things for Christ. I think a lot of the challenge of following Christ is oftentimes we just get it in the way of that spirit moving. And, and I think sometimes the Christian life is about trying to just get out of the way. Because I think often our struggles with faith and growing in the faith are not matters of us not knowing how or knowing what to do or not matters of other struggles. It's really a matter of learning to let go and surrender and allowing ourselves to be used and available. I think our problem is we try to we try to get too involved and work too hard and try to control too much. Mm. And if that spirit is truly alive in us, we need to get to a place where we're allowing that spirit to to move in and through us. Okay. And it's not as hard as we think it is. Sure. So if if I am uh I'm convinced that Christianity is uh is is the way uh is is the truth. Uh, the complete truth, not that there aren't other truths of in, in other religions, but for me, that Christ is the way. And I get that. I get that through intellectual assent. I get that through my experiences. But I encounter folks, and we've all been there. I've had this happen for, even from a family member who said, you know, if you're saying Jesus is the only way, I just don't see, Bob, how you can condemn all those other people who aren't Christians. And, and I'll tell you what my response is, but I'm wondering, 
What is your response to that question? Yeah. Well, and my response may be different than yours, but first of all, I'm, I'm very quick to say to people, to Christians who rather arrogantly say that they know the eternal destiny of those who aren't Christians. And I tell Mm -hmm. them, listen, last time I checked, you're not God. There's only Mm -hmm. one God and you are not him. And we can trust God that God's going to make the right decision. But that's not our job to be judge and jury. We don't know. And so I have a hard time with people uh, saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing is, and I, and I mentioned it in the sermon, I believe, I think there's a lot of beautiful truth in, reli- in other religions. I mean, these are, th- this is thousands of years of people seeking the divine in this world. And I think there's a lot of key insights and things to learn and some truths in those things that are beautiful. Now, as an aside, I'll say there's some of those things that are contradictory to the faith. I'm not one who believes that all religions lead to the same place. Well, that's baloney. All you have to do is study those religions to see that that's just not true. But that's a whole nother podcast, I guess. But, you know, I, you know, I will say that, that I believe that, well, let me put it this way. I remember a story a preacher friend of mine told me one time about uh, preaching to a, an obscure village, and I can't remember where, in a country where Jesus had really never been preached about. And this was many years ago, and he had a translator, and again, I can't remember where, but he preached a a gospel message about Christ, and after the message, a a woman came up to him, and they used the translator, and the woman said, you know what, I always knew that person existed, I just never knew his name. Ah, yeah. So I think, as we read the Old Testament, And as we read and understand God's spirit, like let's understand before Jesus came, the spirit of Christ was, as John says, in the beginning was the word, the word was Christ. So I think that spirit of Christ is always moving and showing and directing and knocking on door of people's hearts, even if they don't have the language or the theology or all the accoutrements we have of the faith. It sounds a little like St. Augustine who said we all have a God-shaped hole in our hearts. Right. I really appreciate, uh, you know, your response that, hey, I'm, I'm not condemning anyone, right? Uh, th- this is what I choose to believe, uh, but it's not my role, right? We're not God. God is just. We leave that all to God. I think that's a, an important, uh, powerful uh, response to remember. Um, Pastor Charlie, I want to ask you about you. So uh, what is the Charlie Reeb story? Uh, you, uh, uh, from a young age, uh, decided you were going to be a pastor and just took that role, or you fell into it, or how did you become Pastor Charlie Reeb? Well, I remember as a teenager sitting in church, and this was in Florida, and I'd always, I mean, I grew up in the faith. One of my earliest memories is being in a church nursery. So. I'm one that I don't remember a time of not knowing Jesus. Now, clearly, my understanding and love and relationship with Jesus has grown as I have matured, but I think you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. But I, as a teenager, you know, I was, I was into sports. I was into girls. I was into being, you know, the class clown and joking around and 
So, but we went to church every Sunday. And I recall being about 15 or 16 in a church in Tampa. And, you know, we're passing the mints in church and talking about where we want to go to lunch afterwards. When, and we had just moved to Tampa. And when this preacher got up, his name was Brad Dinsmore. And I had never heard anybody preach like that before. Mm-hmm. I mean, from the, his first word to his last word, I was riveted and my heart was truly warmed and profoundly affected. And so I, every Sunday, I would show up and I would try to be on the front row. I'm as a 16-year-old kid or maybe 15. I couldn't believe it. And my parents were like, what has gotten into you? And I was so enthralled by his messages and they began to move me and change me uh, and move me and began to call me to ministry. So as an aside, I'll say, that's why preaching is so paramount to me because it was through the preached word that I was called to preach. Yeah. It was through the preached word that I could see what God was wanting to do with my life. So it was preaching that changed my life, Yeah, the power of the preached word. And so long story short, I think this, this preacher, Brad, recognized something in me and my longing. And so one day I was leaving church, shaking his hand, and he, he looked at me and said, I want to know what you want to do with the rest of your life. And so this preacher began to take me under his wing and began to help me discern. And through the sermons, through a conviction in my heart, through God putting me in certain circumstances, at 16, 17 years old, I knew what God was calling me to do. Wow. Yeah. And you experienced the power of the preached word. Absolutely. Uh, and the, the power of that God-given skill and ability. And, you know, I, to this day, when I ask people uh, what they get most out of church and what they're looking for, the majority, not everyone, but the majority uh, will say, I need to hear a message. You know, I, I need to hear something that's going to get me through the week. And there are always those folks who say, look, I need to connect through the music. If the music's not good, I, you know, I don't, can't connect. Or I need the social environment, or I, I need the fellowship, or I, I come for communion. Or I, I get that completely. But boy, there is something uh, about a, a, a well-preached passage that has power, that really has power. Well, and I'll say, and this is a shameless plug, but I, my newest book is called Say Something, uh, simple ways to make your sermons matter, and it's also published by Abingdon Press. But I begin the book with that very point. If you look at Pew Research and Barner Research, this is something that they did two or three years ago, so it's fairly recent. They basically polled and they asked two questions of several churches and churchgoers, you know, scores of them. Uh, what draws you to a church? And then what keeps you in a church? And by far and away, the most important thing was the preaching, mm. the sermon. More yeah. important than children's ministry, as important as that is, more important than the coffee that's served, as important as that is, recreation <laughs> programs, it was the preaching. Yeah. And this is research. This is solid yeah. fact. And I, I think there, there is no substitute for Christian preaching. And there never will be. And in my denomination, United Methodist Church, and this is me getting on my soapbox, I guess, but I think one of the reasons why the denomination is dying, and many mainline denominations are dying, is that there's a lack of emphasis on the importance of the preached word. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that's, uh, I digress. 
Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Um, final question. When you approach Scripture, what is the most fundamental, if you could choose one, if you had to choose one, what is the most fundamental question that you ask when you're organizing and developing a sermon? Well, can I, can I give you two questions that I yeah. ask? Yes, sir. Okay. And they're somewhat connected. The first question is, what is it about this text that convicts me? Mm. Because I think the, the secret sauce of great preaching is conviction. A convicted mm. preacher is a compelling preacher. And a lot of my preaching students who worry a lot about the, the mechanics of preaching, the delivery and all of that, which is important, and I teach that, but I often tell them, those who really obsess about it, listen, if you're convicted yeah. about what you're preaching about, the rest will take care of itself. You don't have to worry about how you're coming across. It will be clear and transparent, mm -hmm. and the emphasis will just happen because you're that convicted about it. And the other thing is, if you're not convicted about it, your people aren't going to get convicted about it. So, again, a convicted preacher is a compelling preacher, and that's when people find their true voice. Yeah. That's another thing when people ask me, how do I find my, vo my, my voice as a preacher? Well, feel how you are and what you say and how you say it when you're really convicted about something. That's your voice. It comes uh, through. Absolutely. And so I asked that question, so what convicts me about the text? But then I ask the question, which I think is key and gets into my, my philosophy of preaching, and that is, what, if I'm convicted about this particular thing in the text, how can I communicate it in a way to listeners that makes it clear, understandable, relevant, and makes it become flesh for them? Mm. Because yeah. so often preachers are guilty of trying to preach to their professors or yeah. trying to impress their listeners with their education. That's the biggest mistake they ever make. And seminaries yeah. do a terrible job. Many of them do. And they prepare lecturers. They don't prepare preachers. Right. So how can I make this message as palatable, as clear, uh, and as, as much in flesh as possible? And a lot of preachers don't take that extra step. Yeah. Again, the example, God's personality. I could, I've taken five minutes and explained the Greek, mm. but I made, I tried to make it plain, not dumbed down, but make it plain. And people. it's understandable. And, and, and yeah. when Thursday and Friday come around that week, I can remember that, but I may not remember you parsing the Greek verb. Yeah. yeah. So those are the two main questions that I think are, are just critical. That's Fantastic. I think that'll not only help our listeners, but, but those listeners who are pastors as well. Well, Pastor Charlie Reeb, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, and uh, on behalf of all our listeners, may God continue to richly bless you in, in your ministry. Thank you so much. And again, thank you, Bob, for having me. This has been wonderful. Love this episode of Inspirational Sermons? Join us at inspirationalsermons.com. And we'd really appreciate it if you head over to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe, rate, leave us a review. See you next time as we continue to explore epic, life-changing sermons by the best preachers in America.